You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Who's ever embraced a new way of doing something and found it to be super life-giving? Anyone? Yeah? Maybe we're, we're almost at the start of a new year. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution kind of thing that you've done. Perhaps for you, it was a a particular diet that you gave a go. And all of a sudden, as you just ate lentils and beautiful salads, you discovered that you have all this extra energy that you hadn't had before. And you find that, you know, it's a bit easier to to keep the kilos off and, and stay in shape. Or perhaps for you, it was a difficulty in exercising, you know, because everyone loves exercise, don't we? And you were just distraught that you couldn't exercise. And so you consulted with a physio and they, they helped you make a few little subtle tweaks, the way your foot lands as you run or even walk and your gait and where your hips are and where you, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then you were able to actually experience pain-free exercise. Who knows what that's like? <laughs> Only one of us, two of us, there we go. Perhaps for you, it's, it's just knowing that you've been waking up and you've just been tired every single morning, and you decide to make a change that is in your control, and what's that? It's going to bed a bit earlier, saying no to the extra episode of Netflix, or two, or three, or staying up for the World Cup. What, who watched the 2am game? No one. <laughs> Maybe 6am this morning. And before too long, you notice that it kind of resulted in you having all this extra energy that you thought was just long ago from when you were a teenager or something, but you found uh, a new lease on life. I'm sure we can all relate to making these kind of changes from time to time in life. And the problem, I guess, with these kind of changes is we make them, and while we often start in them really, really well, we don't always continue on in them so well, do we? We might give ourselves to dieting for a, for a while. We might really enjoy the benefits. We might develop a, a, a real passion for lentils, a real taste for them. But before too long, we find ourselves just slowly slipping up, slipping back, compromising on our diet and going back to old eating habits. We might find ourselves, do we just give ourselves to exercising and, and find the benefits to be worthwhile? But before too long, again, we find ourselves slowly slipping back, no longer following our physio's advice, because what would he know, and slip back into old and painful exercise habits. We might give ourselves to a new bedtime routine, love the fact that we wake up early and feel remotely fresh, but before too long, we start slipping up. We start saying, oh, just another half episode on Netflix. Oh, maybe two, maybe five. Before we know it, It's midnight again, and we slip back into our old, tired, sleep-starved patterns. You all know what I'm saying. So often, we start in life-giving pursuits really, really well, but we don't always continue in them and don't experience, in a sense, the freedom, the rewards that we could enjoy if we were to continue on. And this isn't only true for us in, in these kind of health aspects, this can be true for us spiritually too, can't it? You know, we can, we can start really strong 
in the new life with Jesus. We can embrace new life with Christ. We can know without any shadow of a doubt that we are totally right with God, that we are saved, that we are sanctified, that we are cleansed, not through anything we could do, but simply through faith in Jesus Christ. We can know that and we can enjoy the freedom, the rewards that come from being in that heart place. And then, for a range of reasons, we can slowly or even very, very quickly get off track. We don't continue, maybe quite as strong as we once did in the new life with Jesus. We start, and I would say this is often at a subconscious level. We're not even necessarily aware of it at first, but we start to kind of justify ourselves through what we can do for God. And, oh, look at what I've done. Look at how much I've given. Look at the way I'm behaving here. God's really pleased with me now. And we can, we can start slipping into this kind of thing. And as a result, a lot of those rewards, a lot of the freedom that we should be enjoying, that is ours to enjoy in Christ Jesus, we don't enjoy. We don't have them. We don't live in light of the grace that we've been shown. And sometimes when we actually stop and consider where it is we're at spiritually, we realise that we have actually exchanged the very life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ with another gospel altogether, a gospel that is no gospel at all. And so today, we're going to continue in our God's story journey. And, and who knows, this is our second last one, because it's nearly Christmas. So how's that? We're going to continue by exploring some of these very themes that Paul speaks to in his letter to the Galatians. So let's pray as we come around God's word now and invite Holy Spirit to really minister and speak to us where we're at. Let's pray. Yeah, loving God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just the blessing that it is to us every day. We could, we could open your word once and we could discover life-changing things. We open it twice, then we open it for the millionth time, Lord, and we just continue to discover new riches, new depths, new wonders to chew on and explore and hold dear to our hearts. And so, God, we pray today that as we, as we, as we focus on continuing on in grace, we pray, Lord, that we would even be spurred to continue on in grace as we open up your word, as, as we make a habit of being Bereans, people who study to see if what is said is true and search the scriptures, that we would be people like that who would... Who would yeah, find life and joy and be spurred on in grace as we hear you speak to us through your word and as our hearts are shaped by the wonder of the gospel. So God, would you do that today? And we want to just give you all the glory from the outset. You alone are worthy, Jesus, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Very quick background on Galatians. So Paul, on uh, some of his ministry journeys. What did Paul do? He went about sharing the gospel, and as he went, he strategically planted churches. He raised up leaders in those churches so that as he went, it wasn't just a, a one-man thing, but he was the catalyst for seeing God's church grow throughout all these different regions, and particularly the region of Galatia. And 
you read Galatians and you'll see the churches, they were doing all right for a little while, for a while. But after Paul left, what happened was false teachers came in. False teachers came in and infiltrated the church, convincing the Galatian believers of a false gospel. That's, that's it in a nutshell. One marked by old forms of obedience, such as circumcision. Now, we read this, we hear this today, and we go, well, that's pretty weird. Who'd want to who'd listen to those kind of teachers? Why, why would these people who had accounted the gospel then want to go all the way back to the old ways of the law? Well, I think we, it's easy for us this side of history, but if we put ourselves in the shoes back then, we need to really think about what was happening at this point. Who traditionally were God's people? Jews, the nation of Israel, Israelites. And what did these particular people do in honouring and worshipping Yahweh? What did they do? Set themselves aside by keeping the law, the Torah. And what was one key requirement of the Torah, for males at least? Circumcision. Snip, snap, snip, snap. Now, who were the believers predominantly who made up the church in Galatia? Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, spiritual sons and daughters of God, but not spiritual sons and daughters by descent, by adoption, adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, yeah? So this is the context for Galatia. This is the context. It's like this melting pot of the old with the new. And it's a merging of non-Jewish followers of Jesus with Jewish followers of Jesus. And as you could appreciate, that there were a fair few challenges because of that. You can have a read of Acts chapter 15 for yourself this week and you'll see exactly what I mean. But for today, let's just stick with Galatians. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he explains exactly how this was playing out in the churches in Galatia. Here's what he says. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches and they were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians and so many of them were. So that's the context. That's why this is an issue. And naturally, you only have to, and I encourage you this week, read through Galatians. It is an absolute blessing. You only have to read through it to see this for yourself. This news left Paul not only brokenhearted, but seething with anger. Yeah? You have a look and you know, you know how normally Paul is really kind of flowery and, um, you know, makes these beautiful um, greetings, lengthy greetings, where he, he commends churches for their faith, for their hope, for their love. He doesn't do that for the Galatians. Galatians 1, 1 to 5, he says, Paul, 
an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, by Paul's standards, that is a short and frosty greeting. And read on. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he calls the Galatian people, I'm sure it was in love, he, he refers to them as foolish Galatians. Oh, you foolish Galatians. And continually, throughout his letter, he's, he's at them continually saying, hey guys, here's an opportunity for you to turn back. Here's an opportunity for you to get back on track. Just constantly, one after the other, and why they should return from a false gospel to the true gospel. It's safe to say that Paul is not at all impressed with the Galatians. Paul's astonished, he's frustrated that as he writes, as in his own words in Galatians 1.6, the churches in Galatia are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, what's the gospel that they're turning to? The gospel of justification by works and not by faith. The members of the church in Galatia had been deceived by false teachers into thinking that they could be justified before God if they kept the law, you know, performed certain works, including that of circumcision. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul just hits this head on. Here's what he says. He says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's pretty, pretty straight. He lays it out. He's, he's kind of saying to them, guys, if you think that you can do something to justify yourself before God by keeping the law, you've got rocks in your head. <laughs> like, it ain't going to happen. Justification, your right standing with God, comes only through faith in the perfect one, the sinless one, my own, um, our Father in heaven. Jesus Christ, and nowhere else. So let's just take a quick moment to define justification. If you've been to church before, you've probably heard this word bandied around. But all too often, I think we can talk about these words and not actually know what they mean. Yeah? So what is justification? What does it mean to be justified? Well, again, I like Tim Mackey, so I'll quote him. He explains it well. He says, To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, is a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It is when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They are forgiven, they are given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. That's beautiful. It's the gospel, isn't it? 
as Paul explains to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2.8, it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul's reminding the, the Galatians here. He's saying, you're righteous. You're justified. That's enough, Siri. You're in right relationship with God. You're forgiven. You've been welcomed in to God's own family. And you're currently being transformed and renewed and shaped by God's grace through no effort of your own. It's, it's God's goodness, God's benevolence. Obviously, we partner with God in it, but it's a gift of God. It's not anything that could, we could do. We've been justified only through faith in Jesus Christ, not through anything we could do. Now, if you're here with us today and you, know, you have been a Christian for a while, you, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what are you talking about? Of course we're saved by faith. Of course we're saved by faith and not by works. I've been a Christian for many years, I know that. As if we could do anything to earn our right standing with God. And yet, while, while on the one hand we, we intellectually say, well, that, well, that's the case, I think personally this is true, while we don't necessarily think we have failed to go on in grace, and we don't necessarily think that we've adopted another gospel like the Galatians, I would say that if we do some, some heart evaluation, some honest heart evaluation, many of us will discover that we actually have. We've been bewitched to some degree into living out a distortion of the gospel. Has anyone ever seen the US sitcom Bewitched? Anyone? Long time ago? Well, I used to enjoy watching this after primary school, I think it was. They had reruns on in the afternoons, and oh, I, just, I just thought Samantha was hilarious. The cheeky, cheeky wife who happens to also be a witch, and um, all the time getting up to all sorts of mischief, putting her poor husband, Darren, through the ringer. And can, you, can anyone remember what Darren most often said? Samantha! 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 That's, that's pretty well how every episode ended with, with him um, calling out to her in desperation and her sitting up top somewhere cackling in laughter. Um, oh, it was so good. Now, when we think of being bewitched, we, we, we do. We think of magic or sorcery, like something we'd see in a, a Disney princess movie, a scene where perhaps someone gets frozen or put to sleep by a magic spell. Did you know that this word, bewitched, is found twice in the New Testament? It's found in Acts chapter 8 and also in Galatians, in 3 verse 1. And in Galatians, this Greek word that is translated bewitched means to be under an evil influence or to be charmed by error. Seems pretty fitting for the context, doesn't it? Because this is exactly what was happening in the churches in Galatia. So let's bring this home to us and our hearts today. It's very easy for us as believers, as followers of Jesus today, 
to come under evil influences and to be charmed by error too. Would you agree? Think about it. Who doesn't want us to continue on in grace? The evil one. Satan. He hates it. As, as um, I, I quoted the screw tape letters a few weeks ago, and basically for Satan to win, he just needs to keep us from going on in grace. He just needs to keep us, make us stagnant, make us, make us be the kind of Christian that says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian because I gave my life to Jesus at the Billy Graham crusade. And then you talk with them a little bit more and say, oh, so how does that play out in your day today? Oh, it doesn't at all. No, 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 but I'm saved because I believed back then. Okay, interesting. We can so easily come under his evil influences because Satan is actively and relentlessly trying to steal and kill and destroy us. Every single one of us. Every moment of every day, every, through every horrible temptation and even some really beautiful temptations that are great things. Satan will use anything to keep us from continuing on in grace and embracing the fullness of new life on an ongoing relationship with God. And you know, even without being aware, Satan can have his way, can't he? Because he's cunning, he's sneaky. He's a liar, and he'll do anything to keep us from God. You know, it could be a nagging thought in our minds, a nagging thought that kind of just lives in our brains, a thought that maybe we just don't deserve God's love. Who am I to deserve God's love? We don't necessarily verbalise it, but it's there. And every now and then, at key moments, if we do the analysis, we realise that Satan kind of brings it a bit closer to our, to our knowledge in the moments where God's really trying to move in our lives and take us further in him. Could be regularly getting stuck in a place of shame as you reflect on your sin. Who knows? Reflecting on sin is an important thing. Why? Because we need to learn from our mistakes in order to continue on in grace and following Jesus. But who knows that being stuck in a place where we're wallowing in our sin and not moving on from there is really dangerous because it can lead us to fall into that shame trap. And in so many ways, we can really fail to go on in grace as we come under Satan's influence. And let's be real. I touched on it the other week. We're good at being charmed by error too, aren't we? We as God's people today, we can easily fall under the influence of false teachers and false teaching. We can, if we're not on guard, if we're not being Bereans and checking God's word to see if what anyone has said is true, to see if what I am saying right now to you is true, you should be doing that as a follower of Jesus. Don't just take it on face value. I like Joel, so it must be true. No, go and see. Go and see if we're not being Bereans, if we're isolating ourselves from community and accountability and support in Christian community from the body of Christ, we can very easily fail to go on in grace and get caught up in all sorts of false teaching. But for me, I think one of the main ways 
that we get bewitched is by believing, not intellectually, but on a subconscious level, deep down in our hearts, that we need to do things in order to be saved. That we need to do things. That salvation, we wouldn't verbalise it, but our actions show this to be true at times. That we need to work in order to be saved and not have, we're not right simply through faith. And yeah, friends, only we know, each of us, where we're at, only we know if this might ring true for us. Because perhaps there's many ways it could, and you could probably think of other examples, but I just thought of a few. You know, perhaps it's in terms of our finances. We, we've, we give our finances cheerfully to a range of different initiatives as led by Holy Spirit in line with Scripture. We give to support missions overseas, spreading the gospel. We give to our local community here. We give to other worthy causes. But underneath that, what's underlying that outward generosity may be in our heart of hearts a kind of thinking that, well, I'm doing this, I'm being generous because I hope that maybe if I do this, God might look favourably on me. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? That our giving in some way would add to or even secure our right standing with God. Perhaps it's in terms of our work ethic. You know, we, we give ourselves completely to our job. When we're asked to give 110%, we make sure we give 140%. We're known for our integrity. We're known for our ability to go above and beyond, to do whatever it takes to see the project realise, to see the vision of our organisation we're working for, or even our own small business really succeed and flourish. But in our heart of hearts, we know that there's actually something else that's guiding our work ethic. We know that if we take the time to really pause and consider our heart, that we're actually working so diligently in the hope that perhaps God might be more pleased with me and my salvation in him might be more secure. Yeah? Perhaps it's in terms of our volunteering or serving. We work hard We're the kind of person who's always the first to put up our hand to help. If there's a need, I'm there. It's that sort of person. And yet, in our heart of hearts, again, we're kind of giving of ourselves and and seeking to serve and and be the first there to, to, to help out in the hope that in some way our good works might earn us favor with our Lord and Savior, that our helpful, our kind, our considerate actions would secure our right standing with God. Now, friends, I don't know if any of those are struggles for you. I don't know. But I do know, and the Apostle Paul knew too, that right standing with God only comes through one thing. One thing. Right standing with God comes only through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Sure, Good works should flourish in the life of a believer as, as we encounter, as we, as we come to appreciate the gospel, as we receive Jesus Christ and, and truly give ourselves, laying down our lives 
to follow him. As we do that, what naturally happens is we start the process of sanctification, which is another one of those big words, which just means becoming more like him. All of a sudden, we are a reflection of Jesus. So when Jesus is generous, we find generosity starts to well up inside. When we, we look at how Jesus has, you know, the Spirit, fruit through the Spirit, all these things, they start developing naturally in our lives. And we partner with God in that work to allow him to do that kind of thing. But let's be clear. Let's be clear. Just like Paul made it abundantly clear, none of those things contribute to our right standing with God. None of them contribute to our salvation. Good works, in a sense, are proofs. They're evidence, evidences that we are generally, genuinely saved. They're evidence that we're genuinely saved, that we love Jesus, that we are children of the living God, that we are people who are committed to going on with him in grace till the very end of our days. Now, I mentioned that the word bewitched was in two passages, and I told you about one of them, but I didn't tell you about the first. And here's why, because I wanted to close with this one. In Acts chapter 8, verse 9 to 11, a different Greek word is translated bewitched, and it means to be amazed, astonished, or overwhelmed with wonder. Now, this was people looking on Simon the sorcerer in, in Acts, People are looking at it and going, wow, this is, this is astonishing. This is amazing. What is, on earth is going on here? That's the context. But I want to say, friends, today, God actually wants us to be bewitched, but in the right way, with the right source to be gazing at, to be truly bewitched. He doesn't want us to be witched like the Galatians were by coming under evil influences, by being charmed by error like they were. But God longs that we would be bewitched, that we would be amazed, that we would be astonished, that we would be overwhelmed with wonder as we marvel at the good news of the gospel. And then we continue to walk our lives in light of the gospel. We go on in grace. We, 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 we resist the urge because the temptation's there for all of us if we're honest. If only, if I do well in my workplace, yes, it honours God, but if the heart motivation is to somehow make yourself right with God through what you do, we, that can be the temptation for all of us. Friends, we, God's calling us to be bewitched, to be amazed, astonished, overwhelmed with wonder as we marvel at the good news of the gospel and then continue to go on in grace, honouring and serving and following Jesus Christ. We didn't get on to it today, but later in Galatians, Paul shares the very key to going on in grace. And newsflash, it's not us. The key to fighting against our innate urge to try to save ourselves, because that's what it is ultimately. You look out in the world, in the secular world, everyone's doing some, everyone's serving some master. Everyone's trying to save themselves or justify themselves in, through some means. Being a successful businessman, being good at sport, being the most beautiful woman who ever lived. Whatever it is, 
People are trying to do this in themselves, but the key is not in anything we could do. Here's what Paul says. It's actually the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, what are we going to do? Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, as Tim Mackey so beautifully puts it, that Jesus actually transforms us and makes us into people who love God and others and fulfill the Torah of the Messiah. The Torah of the Messiah. If we love Jesus, if we love Jesus, friends, this is what all of us want, don't we? We want to be people who love God. We want to be people who love others. And if you're with us today and, you know, maybe you're online and, and you're on a, on a bit of a journey, you've, you've been looking at different spiritual things to see if they're true, well, this is for you today. If, if this is you, you mightn't like this, but... It's true. You might not even fully understand it, but it's true for you. This is the ultimate purpose for your life too. This is what you were made for, to be a follower of Jesus. So if you're seeking today, Jesus wants to invite you. Jesus wants to invite you to find and experience grace for the very first time through placing your faith in him. What I want to do now is just want to have a time of prayer ministry to pray for us, praying that all of us would just be bewitched in the best possible way, bewitched at the wonder of Jesus, at what he's done, at the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, as we marvel at the gospel. And I also want to pray for us too, for anyone who might like personal prayer, to, to just, just strength and wisdom for that journey of going on in grace. Because who knows that going on in grace can be really tough at times. Different seasons of life, different hardships, even good times can be barriers from us going on in grace because we can miss Jesus, can't we? So I just want to pray. Maybe we could have the Laura and Clarissa up. And John, <laughs> why not go the full team? And let's just, uh, yeah, let's just have a moment of just personal reflection and waiting on God. And then I'll invite anyone who would like any personal prayer just to come forward and we'll pray together in just a moment.